Uh, hi everybody, uh, this is Core Spirit, this is Olga and uh, today with us uh, Dr. Uh, Claudia Welch, uh, Dr. of Oriental Medicine, an Ayurvedic practitioner and uh, uh, educator and uh, the author of several books um, uh, including uh, Balance Your Hormones and Balance Your Life. Uh, Claudia, your book is uh, focused on uh, hormones and women's health. Why, why did you focus on uh, this topic? It's a good question, Olga. And first of all, thanks for having me. And thanks all the listeners for your time. And, you know, I'm a, a doctor of oriental medicine, practitioner of uh, Ayurvedic medicine, and I had a busy private practice for 10 years. And as is probably the case with all practitioners of alternative or complementary medicine, most of our patients are women. I'm gonna make up a statistic here, but maybe 90% of our patients are, are women. I don't know why that is, it's such a mystery. Even I would say 90% of the students that, that I have who of Ayurveda are women. So I don't, I don't know why that is, but it is the case, and so when I would see woman after woman after woman come in to my practice, and they would talk about hormones, and they would say, I think my hormones are out of whack, and we all have this kind of vague understanding of what that means, and what that entails, and kind of throw up our hands about what to do, yeah. and these ancient sciences, Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, they don't talk about hormones, and even Western medicine, this is, in Western medicine, this is a very new conversation. The first hormone-like substance wasn't discovered until 1902. So I knew that the, these classics in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine didn't specifically describe hormones or talk about how they interacted with one another, and they certainly didn't talk about it in terms of women's health. And so I knew that wasn't there, but what I did trust was that one of the strengths of these ancient medicine um, para medical paradigms is that they give us lenses through which to view different aspects of reality. So let me talk about this for a minute in case any of our listeners are unfamiliar with yin and yang. And that's, of course, from the Chinese system. Um, and it's interesting because while the Chinese system and the Ayurvedic systems are both very holistic in nature and they both um, present these different lenses through which to view reality, actually the lenses, most of the lenses that they have are very different. You know, Chinese medicine talks about eight principles, which Ayurveda doesn't really talk about. Ayurveda talks about three doshas, which Chinese medicine doesn't talk about. They both talk about five elements, but the five elements are not translatable from one to another. Uh, some of them are, but not all of them, and how they interact are not are not tr directly translatable. So the only, um, and I think I could, well, the idea of chi or prana is the same, but one of the only um, lenses that are, that is identical in both systems is the yin-yang paradigm, the language of opposites, viewing reality as, uh, as, a, a constant interplay between dual forces, polar opposite forces. Uh, I'll say more about that in a minute. But that that 
lens is identical in both systems. In Chinese medicine, it's called yin yang. In Ayurvedic medicine, there's two synonymous terms for this. One is brahmana, which is yin, is exactly relatable to yin, and langana, which is exactly relatable to yang. And there's um, synonyms to that, santarpana and apatarpana for yin yang, respectively. But this is this to me says this perspective of viewing universal and physical and material phenomena through the lens of duality is so archetypal that two different systems that came up with completely different lenses in all, in most other ways came to exactly the same um, conclusions and descriptions uh, uh, in terms of the language of duality. That's powerful. It lets us know that this is such a primal way of viewing the universe and it's instinctive and intuitive for for all of us and and it's it's easy to understand in a lot of ways for example okay so if we're talking about the language of duality and the language of opposites we look at hot cold heavy light um oily dry these sets of opposites in which human beings and natural and external and internal phenomena exist. So we all, everything is existing between these two extremes and human beings exist in this comfortably in this very narrow parameter between the two extremes. So for example, hot, cold, 98.6 Fahrenheit, right? That's the body temperature which is what, 37 degrees centigrade, I think? Um, 37 36.6, I guess. It's what? So, 36.6, I guess. Okay, perfect. So th roughly 37. And, and, but, you know, that's incredible that this, that we exist in the, comfortably within this very narrow realm between dual forces, right? So hot, cold, 98.6 or 37. It's so, it's so precise that it's down to the decimal point. And if we get a couple of degrees Fahrenheit or centigrade outside of that on either side, we're very uncomfortable. A couple more degrees and we're dead. So it's not, a, it's not, an, it's not optional to live with in it, within this narrow parameter between extremes. It's essential. And the body has this incredible job that it's been tasked with to maintain balance between extremes, whether it's hot, cold, dry, oily, heavy, light, it's tasked with maintaining balance. And the ambassadors of that task are hormones. So hormones are what, what are, what's, what are, it's constantly um, refining uh, this balance in the body so that when we walk outside and the, and the temperature differential is, is 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 degrees different from indoors, we respond accordingly with our temperature so that our body temperature doesn't fluctuate like that, right? So there's this, and when we're hungry, thirsty, tired, uh, energized, all of these different experiences that we have 
are modulated and governed by hormones and hormones respond to our environment in order to maintain this balance this status quo that we need so that's the that's that's why that's the lens through which I, th- I find it most elegant to look at hormones is the language of duality. And that language of duality is so fundamental and primal and archetypal that these two very different systems came to the same conclusions, the same enlightenment around this aspect of duality. Make sense? Yes, yes. So uh, these are two types of hormones inside of our bodies right right so when you say two types of hormones um just to backtrack and fill that out for everybody so as i was kind of looking at this um phenomena of hormones i realized and i'm specifically looking at women's hormones and and how they get out of balance and um and what those female hormones represent in terms of duality. Um, and so let's talk about that um, a little bit. There, so what we have, um, I have a little notice saying my internet connection is unstable. Can you hear me okay? Yes. I okay, good. So um, let me know if you can't. So what I found out with women's hormones is that um, with women's physiology is that women's hormones, the, the pre, pre, most specifically estrogen and progesterone, tend to be, in terms of this, on the scope of, of um, duality, they tend to be more yin. They tend to be more brahmana, more santarpana. And stress hormones tend to be more yang, more langana, more apatarpana. And so um, for, for listeners who are, aren't familiar with those two forces and what they mean, the yin and yang forces, the yin or brahmana or santarpana are fundamentally grounding, nourishing, calming, and building hormones or forces. Those are the yin hormones, the yin, yin forces. And the yang forces are more stimulating, motivating, lightening, and um, active, so energized. So those, that's the duality that we're all always living within. within. And so this, this, the two types of hormones that, that I talk about in the book and that I, I find are most important in terms of understanding women's physiology are the yin hormones, which is to say predominantly estrogen and progesterone, and the yang hormones, which is predominantly the stress hormones. So when stress becomes too high, you immediately and inherently have this imbalance because you then have too much of this lightening, stimulating, motivating quality, irrigating our systems, our organs, our tissues, our minds. And that activates things and we end up getting anxiety and insomnia and um, palpitations and things like that. Whereas um, if we have too much brahmana uh, in relation to uh, langana, too much yin in relation to yang, we'd end up getting things like masses and depression and heaviness. What we really want is, is those forces to be equal. So we feel equally energized and grounded, 
equally alive and calm. It's a, it's a, a, a have a, have an inherent equal equilibrium, right? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And you, you say that, uh, um, when, uh, this is a lot of yin, uh, someone can, can get heavier, right? Uh, I, I've, yes. noticed, I've noticed that sometimes when I'm in stress, I gain weight. Yes. I so, get, uh, why, why? The, excellent question. So, mm -hmm. what happens? Let me let me share this um, this study that was so interesting. Inherently, stress hormones lighten the system. If all else being equal the stress hormones will lighten the system. They motivate us to fight or flight when we're in fear. So we fight off the problem or we run away and, and our, our, the, the, the elevated presence of stress hormones allocates our vital resources to our biceps and our quads so we can fight or flight. And we're motivated. And that energizing, activating, quickening aspect is lightening to the body. So all else being equal, we would lose weight. However, when this goes on long enough, and this is, um, this is possibly longer conversation than, than we have time for, but, but I think that we can get it in a fairly, fairly short order, the summary of what happens. But when, when there's a few things that happen. When stress hormones are higher, than in balance in proportion to the sex hormones for long enough what happens is this the body while it loves the sex hormones and finds those yummy they're lubricating and delicious and moistening and building and the body loves them it will always a hundred percent of the time prioritize stress hormones because the presence of stress hormones allows us to survive and in order to reproduce the first thing we need to do is survive so the body will always prioritize survival so if we have a tremendous demand for stress hormones all the time and we use them and we use them and we need more and we don't have enough building blocks to create more the body will actually rob the sex hormones, turn them in, transform them into stress hormones to supplement our survival. You follow? Yes, yes. So when, when that happens long enough, then we get a real depletion of sex hormones and a, a, a elevation, a, a consistent elevation of stress hormones, um, unless it happens so long that our adrenals conk out and then collapse and then we have too little stress hormone but that's kind of an extreme story but if this pattern goes on long enough all else being equal and i'll say what i mean by that in a minute but all else being equal the following endocrine organs and glands get affected number one the the adrenals and there's a good reason for that um Number two, the insulin-producing portion of the, of the pancreas. Number three, the thyroid. And then other things go, go, on in the, um, and go, go wrong in the endocrine system. <clears throat> so 
I'll get back to what I mean by all else being equal, but in terms of your question about why you sometimes gain weight if you're stressed out, that happens when the situation of the stress hormones being too high and robbing the sex hormones too long, when that goes on too long and the adrenals get hit and then the insulin producing portion of the thyroid get, of the pancreas gets hit, when at that step, what happens is when the insulin producing portion of the pancreas gets affected, that's when we start gaining weight. Even when we're, and, and perhaps especially when we're running more and drinking Diet Coke and trying to do all these things to, to, to lose weight and we get stressed about that and that makes the situation worse. And it's like the body has this inherent understanding that oh no, we, this, this organism is being overly stressed, overly taxed over and over and over and has this quickening, motivating, anxiety-producing um, predominance for so long that the body says, okay, we need to balance that. Let's start packing on some weight, even though this person isn't eating anymore, isn't, um, isn't exercising less, the weight is just coming on. So that's, that's the answer to that, is initially it has this lightening experience, but if it goes on long enough, it'll, it'll end up having, uh, having this weight gain experience. And what I mean, I said I'd go back to um, all else being equal, is so what I had said was the longer this imbalance goes on, the, the, the more likely it is for the following endocrine organs or glands to get hit. Number one, the adrenals. Number two, the insulin-producing portion of the pancreas. Number three, the thyroid. What I mean by all else being equal is suppose my father and my grandmother both had diabetes type 1, and, um, and so I have a challenge area, what we call a kvaigunya in, in Ayurveda. I have a challenge area genetically in my pancreas then maybe it's not the adrenals that first get hit, it's the, it's the pancreas that first gets hit and I end up getting diabetes. Or suppose I have a genetic history of thyroid issues or something that has created a weakness in my thyroid, some kind of exposure to radiation um, or something like that, then it's the thyroid that'll first get hit. So one way or another, it doesn't even really matter the order what matters is to understand that the longer this predominance of stress in our lives is going on, the more likely it is to hit an, an effect and um, damage temporarily or long-term one or the other of the endocrine organs. Thankfully, and this will be good news for you if you've found out that you sometimes gain weight during, stre during um, stress, then then you know from what I've just said that that's likely because you've had stress for a long term. It's not a short-term hit that does that. That's a long-term series of hits. But the, the good news is that the body is incredibly resilient. So if we really make a, a concerted effort to slow down and to rest and get emotional and physical and spiritual nourishment, the body is very resilient and can come back from that um, many times and sometimes fairly quickly. Sometimes it takes a longer time.
Okay, so the best cure is to have rest, right? <laughs> I would say yes. And, you know, like anybody who's been listening to me for the last 20 plus years is, you know, probably really bored of hearing that. But it's really true. It's really rest. And Olga and everybody, what I have come to feel and believe, at least for now, my, my perspective may change, but is that hormonal balance is an ethical issue. And what I mean by that, let me explain what I mean by ethics first. What I mean, if I'm living an ethical life, from my favorite translation or description of ethics is personal integrity. And what I mean by that is living my life in alignment with where, where my heart and my mind and my words and my actions are in alignment. So if I'm, what that takes is for me to look inside myself and feel inside myself and see inside myself instead of looking outward, looking inward and seeing what is right and listening deeply for what is the right action or non-action for me to take right now. And it takes, in my experience, sometimes enormous courage to live in alignment with that. And it's enormous courage for these small things. So for example, if I'm too tired, really too tired to do X, Y, Z today that's on my to-do list, can I let go of the to-do list and take care of myself and give myself what I need. And I understand that means, suppose you woke up today and you said, oh, I'm supposed to have a, a, a talk with Dr. Welch today, but I'm too tired, I'm not gonna do it. I understand we have this professional arrangement and you, know, you don't wanna just start blowing things off all the time. But what it does mean is that say, okay, I'm tired. I've scheduled to have this conversation, I will. These are the things that I have to do today and otherwise, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to lie on the couch. I'm going to I'm I I I'm going to make sure that as soon as I can I schedule out a block of time where I'm doing nothing for a while until until I can and until this inner interest in activity rises from from the ashes, the ashes of being spent, right? So that, that, that it's little things over and over and over again that we often ignore. We ignore these signs from our bodies. We, we have a goal and that's all important and we're going to drive after that goal and, and tackle it and, and fulfill it and, um, and anything below the neck can go jump off a cliff because we have a goal and that's all important and below the neck starts talking to us and saying oh but i'm having night sweats oh but i'm i having constipation or diarrhea or a combination or gas or or um headaches or you know so that's above the neck too so the whole, the body is starts telling us when it's having too much and it needs a break and it's so easy for us to override that again and again and again and again because of 
expectations in society or our friends or our partners, but it most especially because of our own expectations of ourselves and our own embarrassment if we're not looking active all the time and productive all the time. There's, we, we feel shame in resting. And so we keep, we keep going. And so living in integrity is st stopping that, is realizing, okay, is sacrificing our ambition at the altar of reality, this reality meaning what our bodies are telling us. So, so surrendering to the pace of the body, which is so, so difficult and Im even embarrassing for so many of us to, to, oh my gosh, do I have to rest again today? I rested yesterday, you know? So it's difficult, but, but it's living in integrity in each of those moments that is honoring the the um this dance between this dance of duality uh, this dance of um existence between extremes and uh and honoring that we have this narrow perimeter in which we're comfortable in which we're health really healthy and um honoring that by our actions and by listening to the body and slowing down. So, yeah. No, I asked uh, Dr. Gabriel Cousins. He's an uh, uh, expert in diabetes and I uh, asked him uh, about diabetes. What, uh, um, is it possible to cure diabetes? And he said, uh, yes, just uh, change a little bit your lifestyle and love yourself more. <laughs> I love that. It, it was, you know, it's so funny to read something like this or to hear something like this. Just love yourself. Uh, what What do you think uh, self love is, and why is it so important um, uh, for our hormones or for our health? Well, it's a big question. Um, let me let me go back and answer an easier question first, okay. an easier point first, which um, your um, colleague who who said, uh, yes, you could cure diabetes by loving yourself and changing the lifestyle, changing your lifestyle. And so what I want to just mention around that for people listening is that sometimes people do love themselves and have a good lifestyle and have diabetes. And what I've seen in my practice, for example, is um, I remember one patient with um, Hashimoto's, a, a, a clinically diagnosable thyroid disorder, who, and that Hashimoto's with one batch of herbs and one treatment went away, got totally healed. And other people with less severe thyroid issues would change their lifestyle and change their diet and um, take some take herbs and it would take years and they could just manage it. So I, I say this because sometimes people can feel guilty like, oh, I've made these changes and I've still had it, so I'm doing something wrong. We, we all have our own timing for these things. But there is an incredible... Um, there's an inc there's an incredible role that love plays and and also gratitude and one of the things that happens is 
we're say we're in a a habit of doing something that's not useful for us a habit of worrying a habit of um drinking a habit of eating some habit a habit of criticizing some habit that we want to change and some pattern that we want to change this changing patterns thing is really difficult i mean there's not many people who can't say they don't have something emotionally or physically that has been a pattern that they would like for a long time that they would like to change most of us have a pattern that's been going on for a long time that we would like to see shift and um one of the things that i've found is um is the following i i'll just get into it when when we're little kids when we're infants and toddlers and right up to puberty we take in everything people talk about kids being sponges they take in everything to the point where everything they experience creates a new neural pathway in the brain amazing right so all these neural pathways lighting up all the time you don't have to do a big song and a dance for a kid to make an impression everything they see hear taste smell touch is creating a new neural pathway unbelievable and what allows that to happen is this this part of the brain called the the nucleus bacillus that allows new pathways to be generated all the time around but this process is incredibly costly to the body it, it requires a lot of resources so around the time of puberty the body makes this decision to say all right we've we've got all these neural pathways that have been created over the last 12 years or whatever now let we can't afford to keep all of these running let's choose the ones that are most used we'll preserve those and we'll prune away all these other ones so there's this huge pruning away process at that point the nucleus bacillus turns off turns off which that's why little kids can learn languages so much faster and that's why after that period of time learning something a new skill takes more effort um so wouldn't it be nice if we could turn that back on and create a new pathway but what's happened is those pathways that were created early in our lives it was like we had wet cement and we created these new path these pathways and at at puberty that cement hardened and we're left with the patterns that were already ingrained so if we have poor eating habits or or some kind of fear pattern or some kind of um pattern that was created before puberty that ends up being and often a lifelong challenge or creating a, a a terrain in which uh a weed can really grow and take root some kind of disease can start to grow and take and flourish in that in because of those patterns that were created so what we would like to see is a way to soften that cement and and create a new pattern and thankfully there is something that will do that 
if we apply oxytocin to that cement, oxytocin being, a, uh, it's a um, hormone-like substance that both men and women have, and, but when oxytocin is introduced into this equation, the, the matrix in which impressions are made softens, making it more vulnerable to new impressions. And what increases oxytocin? Love. Hawks. What? Hugs. Hugs and kisses. Hugs and kisses, right. It's called the cuddle hormone, right. So hugs and kisses. But, and people know that it increases during sex, but it's not sex that increases oxytocin because people who are being raped, I'm sorry to be um, crude about it like that, but people who are being raped, their oxytocin levels don't rise, of course. So it's not sex, it's not the act of sex that increases oxytocin, it's connection. Mm-hmm. connection. Connection and security. So this connection between you and me, between me and the cat, between me and the partner or the child or, um, or, or nature, right? So, or the feeling of connection to life, that feeling of connection increases oxytocin even gratitude. So sometimes we say, okay, well, I can't, I can't connect to love. I'm not feeling love. I'm not feeling this grand thing we call love. Well, even gratitude is, has the same effect at, at increasing oxytocin. And it doesn't have to be gratitude for world peace. It could be gratitude for a really nice jam or like it's fall where I am now. And my neighbor brought me this really lovely apple off of her tree this morning. I'm really, I can be grateful for this apple and that will increase oxytocin and make me receptive to new patterns. And then what we need is the nucleus bacillus to turn back on so that we can create that new pattern in this now receptive matrix. And how do we do that? It's kind of simple. What will turn the nucleus bacillus back on after puberty is, is, is focus. When we really apply focus, many of us are just kind of walking through our day do it on a default program. But if we really take our attention and focus, the nucleus bacillus says, oh, I've got to wake up and, and, and create a new pathway here. So... This is one of the reasons in, in Ayurveda that we have what's called the dinacharya, a daily routine, and why it's so heavily oriented towards the morning. Um, because we want to create um, new patterns in the morning. A morning is like, you know, we talked about how the nucleus is bacillus is on all the time in early life. Well, er, every day, every morning is like the the childhood of that day is the birth of that day. And so if we can get into a place of love or gratitude, allow that oxytocin to raise and soften the matrix in which impressions are made, and then focus on some, this is, this is why Dinacharya, this healthy daily routine prescribed in Ayurveda will say that's a good time to do a focused meditation or a focused yoga practice, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be a focused breathing exercise or focusing on the morning coming alive or the uh, or a, an asana practice, or a, a, but something gentle and loving and 
that replaces fear, that replaces old habits and patterns that, that weren't serving us with something new. That's a role of, of love. And, you know, you said about loving ourselves. There's many layers, of course, but this is one way of looking at it that um, isn't so lofty and esoteric that feels like it's unattainable. It's let me find love for this apple or gratitude for this apple, even if I can't find the big capital L love. Let me find some kind of love in the morning. Let me focus on something um, positive and, har and harmonizing to my system to replace those other patterns that weren't so harmonious. You said about uh, self-love uh, and you said about connection. Uh, and I, I thought uh, that perhaps um, we get ill when we uh, lost this connection, or when we lost, or when we lost trust, or why do we get ill? What's what's Ayurveda says? Well, Ayurveda says a great many things about why we get ill from. You know, it's all, you know, one of the things it says is it's all rooted in digestion. Um, there's, there's all kinds of things, but f from, and, and there's things that are, that are truly unavoidable. Some, some genetic things that are so deeply set in our blueprint that it, it may not be able to be cured, but it can be managed. It can, things can always be improved. Um, but for most of us, and I'm going to make up another statistic, 95%, again, it'll be the same statistic that I'm making up, 95%, I would say, of, of the reasons, of the, of the diseases and discomfort that we're feeling um, now is as a result of little by little by little over the course of our lifetimes ignoring living in integrity it goes back to to that because when we don't live integrity and we override the messages that our body and our truths are are telling us when we do that over and over again in little and big ways we eat things we know are not good for us um we do things that that we know are beyond are pushing ourselves beyond what we can um, naturally and comfortably give when we when we override this over and over again the body isn't a machine a perfect machine that goes on forever it gets worn down by this it's like I don't know why this comes to mind but it's like being in a bad relationship where someone is criticizing you or making you feel small over and over and over and over again that wears down the spirit and the resilience and we're doing that to ourselves you know we're 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 we are having an influence on ourselves that that makes us feel small or tired or maybe in a deep level very saddened that we're not living in a way that that honors why we know we're here like why are we here what are we supposed to be doing we have this precious life what am i 
supposed to be doing with it. And I don't mean deciding that for the future. I mean, now, what, how am I, what am I doing? Am I honoring that spirit, that reason for being here right now? Am I doing, am I doing that? Um, if I'm not, I'm creating a deep sadness for myself and I'm creating stress and that's going to go on. That stress is going to be high for so long. And then the endocrine system is going to get hit and the digestion and you can't digest anything if you're, if you're feeling um, stressed. Uh, I mean, that's a big thing that, that is worth pointing out is that, you know, what happens. So why do we get ill? Uh, stress, you could say stress, stress from not living in integrity. Um, but, but why, one of the reasons that makes us ill in a very clear, tangible way is what stress hormones do is reallocate our vital resources to our extremities, our quads and our biceps, as we mentioned before, when that, where is that being robbed from? That, that, those vital resources are being robbed from the non-essential organ functions and i mean non-essential to survival at that minute the heart is essential to survival that keeps getting but at that moment the reproductive organs are not essential the digestive organs are not essential the 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 what's essential is that blood be pumped to our extremities so that we can survive so the the digestive organs gets get get robbed of vital nutrients and vital resources if that happens over and over and over then the blood flow and the nutrient flow in and away from the digest into and away from the digestive organs gets impaired and those tissues of those organs become suboptimal and the functions don't go on as well when that goes on long enough, the the digestive organs really have some some major trouble happen. Same with same with the reproductive organs and so forth. So one very clear answer to this is well, stress from not living in integrity ends up causing damage to the reproductive organs and the digestive organs. And uh, when that happens for long enough, you're going to get disease everywhere. Okay, it's a very interesting uh, idea that lying uh, to oneself, to myself, can get, can get, uh, can make me uh, ill, right? Right. Uh, and um, you said that ninety percent of uh, uh, your clients, your students, uh, they are women, and you say um, about stress, and um, I think uh, that. Uh, there are a lot of uh, women everywhere now. They run companies. Uh, we can meet um, a lot of women on uh, conferences, uh, on TV, and uh, etc. But still, we live in the male's world, in the men's world. Uh, so uh, there are um, uh, women are now active, and um, uh, they think. Uh, that uh, they are uh, liberated, but still we live in the men's world. So uh, women have stress. 
is it possible to um, liberate our yin energy while staying active? I think so, but I think, you know, some years ago, there was this um, article by Anne-Marie Slaughter called um, something like, can, can women really have it all or something? And it really went viral. And I think, I think it probably went viral because women were like, oh, please say no so that we can just stop trying <laughs> to have it all. Um, but because I don't think that everybody read the article all the way through because it was a long article. And basically what the article said was, um, can women really have it all? And all meant a family and a job. And when I read that, I thought, well, that's not all. <laughs> because what about, what about our spiritual lives and hobbies and tea with girlfriends? Like, where does that fit in? And so I think if you can't even have, and her, her response was, we've got to change the workplace so that we can have it all, our families and our jobs. But what I think is possible is we can have it all as long as we change our definition of all and are very picky about what is most important to us. And if we, I have seen a lot of these CEOs, these women CEOs and executives, and many of them are, are not sleeping or they're sleeping with sleeping pills. They're um, having panic attacks. They're not digesting their food. And when, so, no problem being a CEO and being active, provided that our bodies and our constitutions can handle that. And it's really what we deeply want to be doing. If it's really what we deeply want to be doing, our bodies adjust, their, it's chemistry, it's not stressful, it's courageous and wonderful. But if it's not completely really why we think we're here, then there's this stress element that we've talked about. So I do think it's possible to be active, but I don't think it's possible to be active at something we don't really, we're not fully behind and stay healthy. I think that there's no question that there's an imbalanced state here. And one thing we could do is instead of all the conferences, we could have a few retreats. Or maybe there's conferences and we also start prioritizing also having retreats. So that it's not just this constant energy going outward, but there's this practice going inward and listening to the being to our own beings and our own inner voices, because you can't hear your inner voice if you don't practice it. <laughs> so to, to practice that and support each other. For me, I, I turn 50, uh, I'm 50 years old, and I am in, I'm going into this third stage of life, and I, I know we're out of time here, so this is a whole other thing, but it's, to me, it's, the, it's very interesting. We could talk about it some other time if you like, but this, what is this going to mean for me? Because this third stage of life that's talked about in India basically is saying we're, we're pouring less energy into our professional lives than our householder lives and starting to turn to more of an inward journey. That sounds theoretical, but to me, it's been so unmistakably clear and physical and spiritual and emotional where I just it's like my 
head was in this direction and somebody just in the course of a minute turned it in this direction. And so I am much less interested in conferences and much more interested in retreats. And I'm more interested in, abs I'm, I'm willing to throw everything away to have more of nothing. I'm willing to gamble more of everything for nothing on a hunch. And my hunch is that the emptiness is worth paying attention to and worth pursuing. And it's a strong hunch. And so for me in my professional life moving forward, for me to be in integrity, it's going to involve more retreat kind of events, less conference kind of events. And if I am at a conference, it's going to be slower, way more boring, and um, more introspective. It, maybe it won't be boring. Maybe people are, are really deeply thirsty for a quieter experience, for a more nourishing experience. Um, but that's, that's where, where I'm headed. So to stay active, um, a woman should stay honest with uh, her inner voice. Uh, uh, she should uh, get slow and uh, to uh, nourish herself with a spiritual knowledge or spiritual. Yes. And it takes courage because what we're doing when we do that is we're turning our backs on seduction or fear and fear because there's this seduction oh if you don't rest if you keep doing this then you'll get this or you'll get here or you'll get blah 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 or uh, or fear oh if i rest i won't get there and it's turning our backs on those voices and it's a gamble you have to be a gambling woman to do this because you have to gamble losing that stuff in order to be true to ourselves. Take something. And I have the last question. Okay. Um, if you had an opportunity to send a message to humankind, what would you say? I guess I would say at this moment in time, let's practice looking inside ourselves more. That's a revolution. That's what revolution means, is turning around. And at the, for so long, our attention has been turning outward. Let's help each other and ourselves to turn that attention inward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so uh, deep and Thank you. Thank you, Olga, and thank you, everybody else.